Hey, everybody. We are live from South by Southwest, and uh, we've got a very special show for you today. Uh, we're going to talk to some of our folks in the background. Um, you, you see some stuff going on here. We've got um, Brian Fanzo, uh, as everybody knows. Um, we'll do just a quick intro, just like where you're calling in from, what you're talking about today, and then we're going to go to Edo as well, and then uh, we'll jump in there. So, Brian, where are you calling from? What are we talking about today? What's hot? So I'm uh, in my home studio here in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, and talking all things Web3, NFTs, metaverse uh you know online offline all of that fun stuff so uh excited to be here back again all right excellent here ito if we can hear if you can hear us i think where are you oh my god where are you what's going on ito Segal. this is known as uh, uh my bat cave so this is how i roll in the metaverse um using the touchcast metaverse uh cloud system which uh we've been using over the last few years to run Incredible events, and now we're helping a lot of companies. This is amazing stuff. We'll talk about it. Very, very cool. All right. Well, with that, L, do the honors, and we will kick this thing off. So, all right. Three, two, one. Welcome, thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Say Ray, send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in the World of Digital Giants. Ray's a regular television and business technology news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal. He's also a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. And of course, here with my awesome co-host, Vala Afshar. He's the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence and executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce. You can find him speaking on outlets like Bloomberg and, of course, posting insightful analyses at ZDNet and, of course, traveling the world. So, hey, it's not about us. It's about our awesome guests. Where are we today and what are we kicking off here? <laughs> It's our pleasure to introduce our first guest who's in the metaverse. We have Ido Segal, Chief Executive Officer and founder of TouchCast. With over 25 years at the forefront of artificial intelligence and mixed reality, Ido leads TouchCast in the pursuit of the future of communications. By harnessing the power of new advances in AI and machine learning, cutting edge computer graphics and blockchain, TouchCast is building an enterprise metaverse facilitating the next generation of communication and collaboration experiences. In a new era of hybrid work and enhanced productivity, TouchCast helped companies bring people together by breaking down the barriers of space, time, and language. You can follow TouchCast on Twitter at TouchCast, T-O-U-C-H-C-A-S-T. Welcome, Ido, to Disrupt TV. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. You know, this is amazing. I mean, I think this is a first for us. Uh, we are talking about what's in the metaverse. You are in the metaverse as we speak. Um, so let's start here. What is the metaverse? What are we talking about here? And why is it so important? Uh, yes, I think this is definitely an area that has gotten a lot of people very confused. Uh, and uh, it's a very interesting conversation. So hopefully uh, I can sh share my point of view on it because many people have different points of view. Uh, my personal journey has uh, kind of, uh, when, when I dropped out of art school uh, over 25 years ago, I started a virtual reality company. It was a bit early uh, and it didn't work out the way I planned. Uh, and I've been working in the AI field in parallel for these years. I've built a few uh, companies that uh, I've exited in the AI space, search engines, 
And TouchCast uh, started in 2012. The brief for the company was what's going to come after video conferencing on this intersection of these amazing uh, capabilities, like what you're seeing behind me in terms of the advancement of, of CG graphics with artificial intelligence and communications. What's this next medium? And uh, we've been running uh, now for the last couple of years these unbelievable events in the metaverse for some of the world's biggest companies, kind of the high end of these virtual events, uh, similar to what Apple does, but at, at, at scale as a platform. Um, and recently, uh, with the Meta's activity, metaverse suddenly became the flavor of the month. So the world kind of caught up with us. And uh, here we were um, relatively alone in, in, in providing high-end enterprises that the biggest companies in the world that are very security conscious. Uh, everything goes through InfoSec. We host regulated content for financial and pharma and consultants. Uh, Accenture is one of our biggest clients and an investor in the company. So finding ourselves working in that space and, and doing this, um, we, we really uh, had this culmination of all these capabilities. Uh, and, and for me, what metaverse means is an alternative space to the space in, in which we live uh, for communications to happen. And when, when I think about an alternative space, I'm not just referring to the physical space, like you see me in my bat cave here, but I'm also referring to the space of all the ideas that we share, the cognitive space. Uh, in contemporary artificial intelligence, when we want to take something and be able to have machines process it, we go through a process known as embedding we can take the picture of my face and embed it into a 128 dimensional vector. That's how face recognition works. We can now with natural language processing, take any sentence that I might say and translate it into Mandarin in real time. So the dimensionality is not just the three dimensions of this world, it's the hyper dimensions of everything that happens uh, in this world. So, and we, we've been working on this intersection for, for now uh, what appears to be a very long time uh, on, on all those multiple dimensions. So, for example, as I'm communicating with you in this TouchCast Metaverse platform, which lives on the, on the cloud, rendered on the cloud, so you don't need to have a high-end PC. We can just join a call like this and, and we're meeting there. Uh, as we're doing that, everything that I'm saying is getting transcribed, as you can see on the bottom of the screen. Um, and everything is captured to also cross the barrier of time. So you'll be able to take this talk, for example, that we're having, and an AI neural network would summarize it for you. So imagine that I will go on and ramble for 45 minutes to your first question and not let you ask, even ask another question. I'll just keep talking for <laughs> hours. Uh, someone in the future will be able to click a button and summarize my very long answer into a one-minute summary video of my talk. And that's based on this amazing capability to use neural networks. Uh, now, if you're sitting in, uh, in a different country, uh, let's say uh, you're sitting in France right now, you could be reading this in French, which is what you see on the bottom of the screen. Um, and if you're sitting in uh, Dubai, you could be consuming it in Arabic. In fact, you can be listening to it in Arabic. الجزء السفلي من أشاشة وأذا كنت جالسا في دبي. So this is mind blowing because it's all about at the end of the day breaking down barriers, which is what technology is always done for humanity. Uh, in this case, the barrier of space, the barrier of time, the barrier of language, uh, understanding, um, and in that way, it's an incredibly potent technology that really changes how humanity can move forward uh, because we're, we're nothing without each other. There is no human alone. We come together like we're doing on this call to kind of connect our brains to, to communicate, solve problems. And the medium that we use is an accelerant for our ability to solve those problems. So that's why we kind of feel that our work is kind of a, we're kind of priests of the communication technology. It's like a holy technology because that really is what moves humanity forward. That's how we solve these really difficult problems. And God bless us. We know how to create problems. Um, <laughs> so with, with more technologies. 
That's awesome. I, I, I want to be in the metaverse because that's the closest I'm going to get to a supercar like that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but but it, is, it is an incredibly hot space. Um, Gartner uh, expects that by 2026, 25% of people will spend at least one hour a day in the metaverse for work, shopping, education, social media, entertainment. I actually think that's a conservative estimate, uh, the one hour a day. Um, and TouchCast, as you alluded to, started with a simple idea, which is can we use power of machine learning, neural networks, and computers that continually get smarter to help us communicate better and comprehend more? And you just gave us examples of real-time translation, multiple language. Can you talk a bit more about the TouchCast, TouchCast metaverse and what is different about your company compared to some of the other players that are in the metaverse right now? Um, well, I'll start with what I referenced a bit earlier, which is we've been uh, running enterprise-grade production events for the world's biggest companies. We run now uh, thousands of these sessions, um, and that makes us very uniquely positioned uh, through this uh, battle, christening uh, by fire, of running these productions. Uh, these events... Uh, hopefully you appreciate as you're seeing that one of our differentiations, our point of view, is that we're putting the video into the metaverse of me, right? We're not trying to meta translate me into an avatar, uh, which is really important going back to what kind of understanding of mission. The fidelity of communications that you get when you can see my face, even if it was 20 pixels, our brain is capable of extracting so much out of that. And the idea of losing that to an avatar in the context of enterprise or business or learning uh, or selling is kind of ludicrous, right? Like it's, it's almost like the difference between meeting someone, uh, but being as bold as, uh, uh, as, as you are right now and going to South by, like physically actually going somewhere <laughs> And meeting people, which is really this incredible thing that I forgot isn't even an option for us. Uh, that's much more effective than talking to them on the phone, right? So if I'm trying to sell you a supercar, which is one of the use cases that people are using our technology for, um, or it could be a washing machine, um, wouldn't you want to be able to see me and feel like you're actually interacting with this scenario and... and there's such a higher fidelity of communication. When you think about bandwidth of communications, not yeah. measured by bits and bytes, just the level of fidelity of how much I can communicate with you, we really believe in, in the ability to fuse effectively video communications with the metaverse. So we kind of arrive at the concept of the metaverse as we've been doing this for many years. I would say more of the on-ramp is COVID, us moving into the kind of Zoom era, Teams era, than the three-dimensional worlds with avatars walking around and, uh, you know, and talking. And in that way, it's a natural evolution to how, how enterprise functions. Like enterprises moved into the modality of video conferencing. Yeah. Uh, and we're effectively representing the next stage of that evolution. Um, as we moved into this modality, we, we lost the role that space plays, right? Like uh, one of the great examples that I've encountered, which is not necessarily a, a commercial example, it's great to illustrate the point. If you're conducting a court of law, uh, which has obviously happened over Zoom, and I'm sure you've seen some of the fun videos, like the guy that was saying, I'm not a cat, I'm not a cat. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't, we'll pull it up later because it's precious. I have, I have. Um, but but if, you, if you run a courtroom and everybody's in a Brady Bunch of a Zoom, the whole thing breaks down. Nobody knows yeah. who the judge is, who the plaintiff is, who the lawyers are, and then you realize that a courtroom, the way it's laid out is usability, it's UX. Like that's, and there's so many things that once you start looking through that lens that we do in our lives, where the space plays a role in facilitating the function, right? Uh, and not just from a branding perspective, like if I'm a bank and I wanna give you a mortgage, I, I don't want you to see me in my bedroom when I'm doing that, I want you to walk into the branch and I want you to feel like you're this is a very respectable firm. It's not just design, it's experience. So metaverse is experience. Like if we think of the web two brought us to a place where we basically created a massive, for the most part, collateralization, taking print artifacts and making them digital, 
that's kind of what we did. We took all of our books, all of our things, and we put them on the web and we made them searchable, right? Yes. Um, and that services as a form of memory. It's like our collective memory. But when you think about metaverse, it's not memory, it's consciousness, it's live, right? That's what metaverse means. It's the evolution of how we experience uh, life. And we're interested in how to facilitate that for productive for productivity tasks. Um, there are a lot of other companies that are very focused on the entertainment so, Ido, that's a great point, right? I mean, let's talk about use cases in the metaverse. Um, one of the interesting things you did show here at the horizontal level is what we call ambient experiences, right? Things are happening in the background. You're taking AI. It's actually going from what we, you know, term, you know, the ability to actually bring up the next best action, you know, behind the scenes, subtly, kind of in your face if you need to, um, and, and you're actually getting that kind of capability. But but what are three or five use cases? You talked about showrooming for luxury vehicles as one, uh, but what else is working for you? What are the big use cases enterprises, brands, organizations are looking at? Yeah, for, unfortunately, a lot of the things that we're doing right now, we can't really talk about yet. Um, oh, darn. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come back on the show to show you. But, but broad use cases, broad use yeah. cases. You don't have to talk about the brands. So but Broadly speaking, whenever there's an interaction between uh, a persona and another persona uh, that involves the space, then there's room for this to happen. Um, and you mentioned some of them. It doesn't have to be uh, a luxury vehicle. It could be any vehicle um, and how you sell it. Uh, the automotive industry has been uh, one of the leaders in using configurators, which are effectively a metaverse construct, right? You can configure the car, change its color. Sure. So they already have that culture. But what if you're, you brought a customer, you spent a lot of money to get them to the point where on, they're on your website and they're engaged enough to start changing the colors, what if they can have me stand there as the salesperson and, and kind of walk them through? What do you think that would do to conversion rates? Of course, it's yeah. exponential. And, and, and that's a natural progression. So some of these lanes are very natural. Uh, the event space is another example where it's very natural. Events break down into many use cases. They could be the, the big marketing events that a, that a firm might conduct. Uh, and there might be a town hall of a CEO communicating with, with their team uh, as she's is she's, she's basically in her living room, but it appears as though she's on the stage. And these are things like you can see on YouTube, uh, some examples of the CEO of Macquarie speaking uh, at their tech conference. She's in her home and it looks like she's on a stage, multiple changing cameras, amazing stuff. If you go to just touchcast.com, you can see a lot of those examples. Um, and just thinking about my day today, I, I spent time with the company that makes super yachts and how do they, communicate to their clients on a three-year journey, the progress and the design decisions you make. Uh, if you're working with an architect on renovating your home, think uh, if any of, any of you have been through that uh, unpleasant and long experience, uh, <laughs> you know that if I can be in the living room right now and change things in real time, think of how much time that saves in the Definitely. process. It's literally exponential. Because the way it works now is you, 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 you communicate like this in relatively low fidelity. I tell you something. I think you understood what I said. I'm not sure. I'll see in three days, right? Then you come back in three days. No, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I'm paying you so much money. Uh, and, and that goes on for months. And that could be that can happen in an hour. That's an, like, and there's yeah. so many use cases like that. Imagine you have a new medical device. Uh, let's say a new MRI device, and you want to train 2,000 operators on how to use it. Absolutely. So historically, we need to fly them over to a simulation center, right? Like, think of the money, think of the time, people away from their family, the ESG impact of all this carbon that's being created, yeah. people getting on planes. So, so now a lot of these things, almost anything that happened in a physical construct could be done in a social way in the digital construct. This idea of digital twinning, different aspects. We've created entire digital twins of office buildings of major financial institutions where they can still run a board meeting inside of a room where people are distributed and still feel like they're on that very special experience and very long list of use cases. And, and really, this is a it's a platform play. It's not a, it's not as much a particular use case. It's and hopefully, as I describe this to you, to you and to the, the listeners, 
it's starting to open up the, the idea of the possibility of why the metaverse is meaningful. And it's, 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 it's not easy to grab onto that because there's so much bullshit floating around. Every enterprise uh, in every sector will, will, will invest in this new paradigm. The next evolution of the web is going to be video. People are more social and they're visual learners that are, are, are highly engaged when this video technology evolves. The next evolution of e-commerce we see is visual commerce uh, with interactive 3D and augmented reality. So, in, in fact, when I see the, you know, the, the display behind you uh, inside the luxury car, I, I recall I was bidding on an antique car or was planning to bid on an antique car. And I just said, you know, you should go see it before you bid, even though I was almost 90% there. I got there and the steering wheel is in my chest. I couldn't fit in the car. And I would have spent a lot of money on this car and not be able to really drive it. And, and, How tall are you? Uh, I, I'm just a, you know, I, I'm 5'10", uh, and the, the car is a car. compact two-seater, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, so in any event, uh, you, you can see how the future of commerce and the uh, future of um, certainly luxury brands, but it doesn't have to be. It could be yeah. an IKEA, and you're trying to place furniture in your home, and so it's key. Where do you see enterprise adoption of the metaverse impacting B2C and B2B commerce? I, I think it's really like back in 1999, and I'm, I, I'll admit I'm old enough to, uh, <laughs> to actually have been an entrepreneur at that time. Um, and it's hard for people to imagine how unfantable it was for almost everybody, this idea that someone would go to a website and put in their credit card and buy something. It was just uh, it was unbelievable. Like, who would do that? <laughs> it, was, it was just, people couldn't even imagine it. It was crazy. That's a crazy idea. Nobody's ever going to do that, right? Um, and you have people like Jeff Bezos jump in their car, go to Seattle, and we all know what happened, you know? And I, I kind of feel like we're in a similar moment, uh, putting all the bullshit aside. Uh, because when you think of how the web changed so much, and now you have this, now you have the ability, like we, we grafted our Sears catalogs, literally, <laughs> And that became Amazon. And it's still Amazon. It's still a fucking Sears catalog. Right? <laughs> like, here we are. It's 20 years later. And now we have the technology to literally graph the physical universe into a digital construct. Right? With, with the amazing companies like uh, Epic building the Unreal Engine, which is one of our deepest partnerships. And NVIDIA, another one of our partnerships that build the hardware and the software. This is a company that doesn't just create the best software, the best hardware. They also invest billions in creating the software stacks, right? And then a company like Microsoft that is able to take all of that, put it on the cloud on Azure and deliver it in any means call. You put all those things together, what you get rid of is the weakest link problem. And that's really, if you go back to me dropping out of art school back in 93 and starting a virtual reality company, uh, and obviously, not happening. It's always the weakest link problem. So yeah. how do you create a situation where you don't have that weakest link problem? For us, what that what that has meant is building on the shoulders of giants and, and really creating these partnerships with these amazing companies that are leading the way and making this possible. Well, hey, we really appreciate this. We have been touched by the metaverse here with Ido Zagal, Chief Executive Officer and Founder of TouchCast. You can follow him on Twitter at TouchCast underscore. Um, and of course, check out all the interesting stuff on their site at TouchCast.ai. This is amazing. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, we'll hope to see you in the metaverse. It's a real pleasure. I'll see you there soon. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Metaverse as a service. Sooner than we think. Sooner than we think. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Thank you. That's, I'm telling you, that's the closest I'm going to get to a supercar. So I need to get on the Metaverse ASAP. Uh, okay. Let's now shift from the Metaverse to another white hot space, non-fungible tokens. Our, our next guest, Brian Fenzer, is a digital futurist keynote speaker, host of the Talk 25 daily podcast, NFT365, iSocial Friends. As a digital futurist and keynote speaker, Brian translates the trends of tomorrow to inspire change today. Brian teaches companies of all sizes how to leverage technology in real time in order to engage their customers at the right time. 
he has worked, wait, he's trying to catch up to you, I think, or maybe surpass you in 76 countries, <laughs> highlighting his passion for change, collaboration, and technology. Ryan's currently the founder of iSocial Friends, which has helped launch digital and influencer strategies for some of the largest, most iconic companies like Dell, EMC, Adobe, IBM, and so on and so on. Brian has been recognized as top 20 digital transformation influencer, top 50 most mentioned users by CMOs on Twitter, and a top 25 social business leader of the future by The Economist. You can follow him, great follow on Twitter at iSocialFranz, I-S-O-C-I-A-L-F-A-N-Z. Welcome back, Brian, to Disrupt TV. Thanks for having me back. Say to be here. And I, it's not often I join where someone else has more tech than me and <laughs> someone else is more futuristic than me. So I, I, I feel like I have to up my tech game next time, but I, I can at least feel like I can come in and sound like the one that's you know, not out in the metaverse. So I'm uh, excited to be here today. <laughs> Ray's been trying to replace me with an avatar. And, you know, I'm, so I'm, I'm a little nervous about this technology. But, <laughs> you know, hey, we're really excited to have you here. And you're right. This is kind of funny. I'm, I'm, in, I'm at South by. You're not at South by. It's kind of the role reversal. Um, but I haven't seen much yet. I'm going to pop in around. Uh, but what's hotter than hot? It's NFTs, right? And and I think this is the South by where we're going to be talking a lot about NFTs. Uh, the metaverse is definitely going to be picking up. And let's just start basically. I mean, you and I know what a non-fungible token is, but let's explain it in basic terms. And more importantly, let's explain where that future is headed. So I'll just start with you, Brian. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think actually the, the the setup here with the metaverse is really, you know, a great, a great setup in the sense that really all of this is the, it's a mindset shift into the blockchain and really what the blockchain is empowering. And the blockchain is empowering a shift in ownership and really a transparent view into what the digital sharing of value is. And non-fungible tokens known as NFTs are you know, one component that is kind of making up Web3 that is you know, kind of benefiting on the blockchain. But what's beautiful about it is really an NFT is just a token that is you know, minted onto the blockchain, that once it's minted, it cannot be edited. It's you know, immutable at that point. And the beauty of it is there is only one of one compared to you know, a, a fungible token would be something like if I gave you uh, two Bitcoin, let's go the other way. Ray gave me two Bitcoin uh, and I could, you know, I could spend that Bitcoin, I could convert the Bitcoin. And then you said, hey, give me back two Bitcoin. I could give you back any two Bitcoin. Those are fungible tokens. The non-fungible side is if I send you an NFT, it is on, there is only one that is a one that is, you know, it has an individual number and it's logged on the blockchain. And the, the beauty of that is it can be implemented in any form and fashion. We, we heard mentioned, you know, the digital twinning component. Like to me, that's super exciting where we're going. Currently at the moment, we're into like the JPEG, Bored Ape, CryptoPunk, you know, Jimmy Fallon, you know, Eminem have... Um, those, but really, that is just like a, the kind of the stepping ground to this entire space. And I like to look at this. We we talked. You know, it's kind of cool. I went back and looked. You know, we talked in 2015 when I was at South by Southwest when it was the very first the start of this show, and we were talking about like social media and where live video was impacting this entire movement of digital transformation. Fast forward seven years, and I look at what NFTs are doing as kind of like the step into digital transformation of Web three. That's awesome. That's a, what a great reminder that you've been teaching us for uh, six plus years. Six which years, is, which yeah. is amazing. I think it's also a reminder that you guys are doing a heck of a job on consistency and a, and a show. So I I tip my hat. Very impressive. You guys have been rocking and rolling for all this time. Well, if you get a chance to hang out with Mr. Wong, you do that. It's just you know, it's, it's a cool thing. <laughs> I'm just here for so, the ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Um, he reminds me in Batman and Robin, he's Batman and I'm the butler. Uh, okay, so so our, our Ido, Ido referenced historically web. Uh, you know, he mentioned 1999. So for, for our audience, you know, typically the, the read-only web was in the mid-90s. Uh, it was CERN launched in 1993, up to, I would argue, 2024 before Facebook's launch. And now you went from a read-only to read-write, and there was a social construct to the web. And uh, introduction of blockchain in the last five years or so, you've been moving towards a read-write-own, a creator economy where now NFT producers can share in the wealth of uh, and not and have it be de decentralized, not controlled and managed by giant tech companies. For example, I want to share some stats for people who may not be 
familiar with NFTs uh, because a recent survey found that more than 70% of Americans still don't know what an NFT is. So just to give you a sense before uh, we have uh, Brian dig deep, nearly $40 billion of crypto was spent on the NFT market last year, 2021, wow. $41 billion. The most valuable NFT sold for $91.8 million. Uh, PAX, the merge, uh, rose as the highest, uh, 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 most valuable NFT of, of last year. Over 50, so you would say, wow, expensive, because people have heard of people and, and, and millions of dollars spent on NFTs. Over 50% of all NFT sales are below $200. So, you know, if you're surfing Twitter and you're like looking at your feed, you're like, I can't get in this game. This is too rich for my blood. Well, it turns out half of NFTs are actually below 200. NFT trading volume grew by 700% in Q2 of 2001 versus Q3. So in six months, you had 700% growth. An estimated 25,000 people trade NFTs each month, each month on OpenSea. And 23% of millennials in the US collect NFTs. These stats are mind-numbing to me because Frankly, two years ago, I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, the people $69 million sale in March of 2021 is what grabbed my attention. So can you explain uh, to, to our audience, we're now hopefully more familiar with this explosive growth of NFTs. What has surprised you most, Brian? Because you are now, you're a domain expert. You're minting every day. You're actively speaking across Discord and Twitter spaces and Everywhere I go where there's an NFT discussion, people are looking at you to, uh, with, with your shared wisdom. What are some of the trends that are, that are, that are, that are mind-numbing? And, what, what, and what, how much of these trends do you anticipate to continue on at this pace in 2022? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I love that you brought the, you know, the data there. Um, you know, I, I was with you, actually. I, you know, I started talking about the blockchain Back in 2014, actually, I think Bala, one of the first times we were ever in the same, uh, you know, event was I was actually referring to the blockchain in cloud computing and how IO data centers was really thinking on where the blockchain was going to reinvent uh, the data center. And I made that like ridiculous statement uh, back then was like, I'm excited for the blockchain, but I pray that cryptocurrency doesn't become the first mass adoption on the blockchain. And I'm a futurist, but I'm not a perfectionist. And uh, I was definitely, you know, 100% wrong. Oops. Oops. Yeah, yeah, we've been there. It's just kind of what we do. And so for me, I kind of shied away from crypto and NFTs because of the barrier to entry, the financial obligation, the, the risk first reward, the unpredictability, and frankly, the terminology and really how that space was kind of evolving. But, you know, 2019, 2020, I started to kind of lean into crypto. And I was with you like March of, of last year, like right now, you know, I launched my own coin. So I had the ADHD coin that our our one-year birthday is actually tomorrow, so it's kind of oh, congrats. Uh, it's kind of congrats. cool. So we and we have over fourteen hundred people holding our ADHD coin, over one hundred forty-five thousand coins in circulation. And when I was awarded it a year ago tomorrow, I had no. I just thought it was like another Patreon, you know, a badge on my Instagram that I could get like an influencer token. And now my entire business, my entire ecosystem, has been completely flipped on its head, where I'm paying my employees. With uh, ADHD coin, I'm award rewarding the those that are fans in my community, and we were able to deploy over a hundred thousand dollars worth of NFTs. Wow. All of them purchased using the Crater Coin that I launched on the Rally sidechain. And so, the reason I say all of that is, you know, March of last year, it was actually Beeple's um, sale was the one that caught me. And was like, wait a second, there's more than just the art, and let's not take away from the art. I think it's a beautiful thing that the art aspect of NFTs can really remove the, you know, let's just face it, the starving from the starving artist, because you're able to build into the contracts residual percentages that are automatically sent to the artist every time art is sold, which we know I mean, that solving that problem alone, I think is a beautiful thing for this entire right. ecosphere because, you know, every artist sells something for, you know, $1,000 at an art show. And then they find out 10 years later, it's worth $4 million been resold 40 times and that person's still starving because they've got that $1,000, you know, that original one. And because of the blockchain, that's all trackable and it's automatically, that, that percentage is automatically sent. There's no way around that. As soon as the transaction happens, the percentage is automated. And so for me, like having that aha in, in March and still in May, like I was on Clubhouse mocking a bunch of these apes that were changing their profile <laughs> photos. And I was like, 
who are these idiots that bought $400 apes to have a new profile photo? Like that was, that was still my opinion. But then that was kind of my moment of, I was going to go all in and understand every aspect of blockchain, smart contracts, um, the different, you know, blockchains and what they offer. And I, I, mean, I will say I was spending 60 hours a week since that time really leaning in. And for me, like the, the art was kind of like the front door. But if you think about it, where in the digital world do we have the serendipity that exists like at South by Southwest, right? The idea that we can go there and we can, we can come together because of the event itself or who's speaking. And we can all of a sudden be connected with those people that are like us. And we can kind of share that with the world. Well, many of us have been to South by Southwest many, many, many times. The only proof that we have that we've been to South by Southwest is this, right? This is my, my 2016 badge. So, so 2016, I have all my, I have every badge I, I like to collect, hence NFTs work out well. But the interesting thing is, this is the only, this isn't a digital asset, but weirdly enough, how would I connect with others that also have been to five plus South by Southwest, right? Maybe it's a Facebook group, but then I can't really broadcast to the world that say, these are my values, this is a community I'm a part of, and these are things that I believe in. And that's really what that ape, that art represents. And I will say the thing that's kind of opened my doors the most is, you know, I went to New York City for uh, NFT NYC, and we travel to a lot of events. I'm heading to San Diego tomorrow morning. And it was the most eclectic mix of human beings mm. that I've ever been a part of in any event I've been to, because to make NFTs work, you need artists, developers, programmers, yep. marketers, yep. VCs, you know, tool creators, software service providers, and then also there's the you know the fundamental layer of crypto. And all of us were in the same kind of arena. And you know, I have to give a shout out to you know Gary V uh, came over and I kind of gave gave me a little shake on the shoulders, and he's like, "Do you feel this?" He's like, "This is what we felt in 2014." With social media, right? Like the the yeah. adoption started to be like, okay, this is what's going to happen. And I would say Gary challenged me. He was like, "Don't do something for everyone else. Do something that's you know yours in this space." Yeah. And uh, I came home from New York on November sixth, and five days later, I launched uh, a podcast that's a daily podcast. So today's episode one hundred and twenty. We have one hundred and twenty. Wow. Congratulations! And I decided wow. when I when I first launched it, I was like. My problem with this is I don't want to just make the 1% richer. I don't want to you know, really just help those that are already here. And I really didn't want to only help early adopters. I love early adopters, but I also felt you know, like, how can we bridge the gap? And so mm -hmm. I came up with the idea, why don't I buy an NFT every day for a year as well? And people don't have to buy to come along on the journey. And so today is the 120th day we bought an NFT every single day, a little over you know $50,000 worth USD uh, worth of NFTs. And we've done it on... 10 blockchains. We've done it from most diverse. We have music NFTs, fashion NFTs. In the last two weeks, we've minted 11 women-led project NFTs, which I'm you know, very proud of, especially with Women History Month. And so for me, I think the, the probably the, the most you know, interesting part for me is that all of this growth, all of those numbers you talked about is really still only leveraging maybe two use cases of NFTs, like we are like, this is like the, nope. hey, like, like let's test the, the, the NFT, you know, component. But like, yeah. I can promise you in five years, everything we buy, every way we, we traditionally interact will have an NFT component. And so for me, that's kind of the most exciting part is we're really just tapping in, you know, to the early part of this entire space. So admission to VCon, you're not going to be able to hang things on the wall. The, it's going to be an NFT in your digital wallet. And over time, you'll have this showcase of NFTs and ultimately your influence, street cred, whatever you want to call it, will be representative of what you have on your, in your wallet. And, 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 uh, and, and you'll hopefully get differentiated service because brands will recognize you and your digital wallet as a prominent social influencer, collector, community builder. So, yeah, this is, this is an amazing evolution yeah. that's happening super fast. Brian will be getting the Steelers NFT soon. I can tell. I already have a couple. They launched a, a couple. The NFL did. I, I had to snatch those up right away. Right. So of course I did. Yeah. Of course you did. Doing of course an amazing you did. job. Time Magazine is doing an amazing job. That's yeah. It's Keith Grossman. Time pieces and Keith Grossman. Keith Grossman is doing an amazing job. I, how great. I would say two of the best use cases are old school media, Time Magazine and Playboy. 
are two of the best use cases I've seen. Where Playboy is, you know, being the new brand that they are post Hugh Hefner is, you know, they are more women employees than they do men. They're really focused on how do we empower, you know, women in the conversation. They launched uh, what they call a rabbitar. I was one of the ones that bought one of the first couple. I still own a couple to this day. But they've really created a, a an entire new story and entry point. And I can say, you know, I'm 40 years old. I'm a millennial, but Playboy hasn't been, you know, important to me in 20 plus years. And all of a sudden they're entering me into this new you know, arena, this new opportunity. And I will say the other part that I think could really excite the audience is this idea of digital identity, right? The, we are shifting ownership because right now, like if I told Vala, you know, your social footprint, if I told you, you know, where, you know, what was the first day that you created your LinkedIn account, your Twitter account? And I don't even think you're on Facebook these days, right? Your LinkedIn and Twitter account, you would have to go to those platforms to get your information, right? And we've we've known this forever, right? That if we're getting a service for free, we're paying with it with our data. Yeah, well, now it's time to actually switch the narrative and say, for those things that we're paying with our data, we now deserve something for that data. And it doesn't have to be a financial transaction. It can ultimately be NFTs, gamification. And I really think we're going to see a move where our wallet is going to be more representation of who we are, our values, our community, than our credit score, than our LinkedIn profile that we manually enter. And I would argue everything, like our trust score, like rather than me saying, I've helped customers do all of these things and you having to be like, you know, do research and figure it out. I would actually be able to give you access to my wallet where it has on blockchain testimonials that were minted transparently with the date and the time, the transaction hash of the people that actually did it. And the ownership is actually now ours. And now the brand can actually work with us and kind of empower that conversation. So for me, this digital identity conversation is really going to flip a lot of the, you know, the traditional way on its head. And I know we talk a lot about like decentralization and centralization. I, I'm learning the hard way. We The decentralization sounds cool, but we love centralized features and functionality sure. and, and we like insurance and we like sure. product process and we like customer service. Like, hey, we forgot our password. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Truly decentralized, forgot your password, right? It's not stored on, you know, one of your, you know, my this is my hard wallet, right? Yeah. It's not stored on so my hard wallet yeah. and I lost it. The only person to blame is me. So we have a ways to go in like the centralized, decentralized conversation. But for me, the idea of digital ownership switching from a platform to the people and then it being validated via the, the actual blockchain, I think it's going to transform every aspect of business. You know, and, and while we're talking about this, though, I, I really do want to jump into some of the other pieces. I mean, there are still challenges and obstacles, right? We're, we're brand new here. It's, it's kind of like saying, look, hey, we're in the search engine wars of the 1990s. Alta Vista and Excite are still in play, yes. right? I mean, we're just at the beginning, you know, of this conversation. I was lucky on my way here to South by sitting next to the founder of Ashbury Law. Um, if you know Ryan Williams, he's one of the top uh, NFT crypto lawyers, and we were talking about all the things that could go wrong. Um, let's start with some of the things, Cheryl, like in terms of like the legality of these things, the rights, how they're enforced. Uh, what's happening there, Brian? Well, let's face it. We we never have really figured out digital ownership, right? Like the, the meme world, like people stealing people's art, people's data, people's quotes, you know, like and putting them online, that's existed for a long while. And I would even argue, you know, I most, you know, half of my revenue of my business for the last seven years, you know, over six figures have been influencer work, right? And even just like hashtag ad, hashtag paid, that's still very like, it's kind of nuanced compared to how we regulate a lot of the other world. And so we have a long way to go, but we also have to admit, we have a long way to go with, you know, kind of figuring that out in Web3, but we never really figured out how do we manage digital ownership in Web 2? And I think partially that's what Web 3 is fixing. But there is definitely some things, you know, barriers to entry, right? The volatility of cryptocurrency is, is of course, one that you can't, you know, mistake on that side of the house. Also, the, the leverage of blockchains today, I believe, is very, a very upside down. It's very, it feels very early adoption, right? Where Ethereum happens to be the most used NFT, uh, you know, blockchain with Ether as the cryptocurrency. But let's face it, it was really never built for that. And that's why we pay these ridiculous gas fees. There's a lot of this information that's going on, but it's because that's where the attention is at the moment, right? There's Solana and Cardano, and we have a lot of other, um, you know, Polygon, a lot of other blockchains that ultimately the tech underlying 
is actually better designed for like gaming NFTs should live on Solana because that blockchain was built for it. But yet it's, I mean, I, I bought and launched uh, NFTs on Solana and it's harder to market there. It's harder to sell the, the, the tools. That a, lot are of friction, there. a lot of friction on Solana. Yeah, and the developers that are there are also, there's, you know, it's, it's like, why did Apple versus Android, right? More people were developing apps on Apple to where you felt more comfortable where all those developers were, were facing, you know, focusing their attention. Now, on the flip of that, because all of the attention is on ETH, you know, Ethereum, on Twitter, Twitter is, I mean, you, we, I've loved Twitter. We've all loved Twitter for a long time. Twitter, NFT Twitter has blown my, I've never seen, and I think it goes back to what I said in New York. When it's an eclectic group of humans, where could an eclectic group of humans rally on a social network? There's really no better, like Twitter was kind of made for everyone of all walks of lives. But there, you know, we have Twitter, we have Discord, and then social audio, Clubhouse, Twitter spaces. But we have also seen a massive amount of exploits by you know bots and hackers sure. because all of a sudden we we said we don't want you know Target to own our credit card data because you know we don't even though they spend 100 200 400 million dollars a year to protect it we want to protect our own data that's what we've always said right well all of a sudden now we protect our own data we click on one wrong link and someone owns us and we're like Wait, I, I think I might have liked Target <laughs> holding my credit card data, right? So that's a little bit of a, a scary world where no one to blame. Not, what the heck? <laughs> and it's not tech savvy, right? It's ultimately like digital action savvy, right? We've all like terms and service pops up. We click, we click okay before the terms and service is finished loading. Like that's our yeah. our behaviors. But in yeah. this world where I could click sign and what I'm signing is a contract that says, give me all of the crypto and NFTs in the wallet and I click sign and that is now theirs. There's no 1-800 number to call. It is, we can see it on the blockchain. We can't get it back. And so yeah. those are, yeah. those are some of those risks, but you know, it's also one of those things where there's also just, I mean, every, actually I think I have it right there, right? There's a science that can't fix stupid. You can't fix stupid <laughs> and you can't, you can't, you know, prevent bad people from doing bad things with new innovations. Every innovation since the light bulb has been able to use for bad, but also to be used for good. And so we're seeing things where people are creating, you know, manipulated projects, people are buying into them. And before they deliver anything, they're taking that money and running away, right? There's called a rug pull. And that that's unfortunately been a little too common at the play at the moment. We, we were living in this, like, it's why I launched the daily podcast. Like this space is too, the change is too wild. I said, I can't do it weekly. Like, my weekly podcast would have to be five hours long because of all of the changes that are happening in this space. And so like, you know, something like we're seeing what I, when I launched the podcast, November, November 11th, what is, what was the norm then where, you know, like you signed up for an NFT, everyone bought it, you held the NFT, you got access to a discord. Well, now there's, there was like this emergent of whitelists. And then there was this idea of like, you know, certain ones got more expensive and then they, you know, like really lots of this, like, these variables. And so we are definitely in the early adoption phase, testing out what does the culture look like in this space. But I think what is beautiful about it is it's also a perfect opportunity to learn about digital identity protection, to learn about cybersecurity. How are we going to protect our passwords and our information when we finally get what we want, which is to own you know, all of our data and our information. And so it's definitely, you know, there's a lot of risk at the moment, yeah. uh, a lot of reward. But I also think like for me, like the you know, flipping something for hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's a great, like, you know, short-term cash component. For me, it's the transformation of data sharing, of, you know, employee sure. empowerment, of, you know, the idea that all of a sudden we could put a NFT with a vehicle and the dealer that sells you the vehicle would then have to care about how you keep the vehicle because they would get a percentage when the vehicle is sold. So now rather than it being on us to get an oil change every 3,000 miles, the dealer would bring the oil change to us because they want the car value to stay high so that they continue to get a higher 10% value. Because let's face it, a lot of these things are about shared ownership. And it's never been, we own something that we bought from someone else and it's always been transactional. And now we're moving to it. It's no longer transactional. It's about us being co-owners. And I think it's an exciting space, but we're going to have to get through this tipping point before we can actually yeah. get there. A lot of things to unpack there. Uh, a ton, hopefully audience can rewind and replay uh, volatility you mentioned. Uh, certainly it's expensive. It can be expensive. A few months ago, Ethereum trading at almost $4,900 and now it's at $2,500. So you see most of the Polygon, Solana, all these altcoins are fraction of what they used to be 
a few months ago, just devastated, just with the macro micro conditions. The process is not mistake proof. You can easily put the wrong address and you lost. Uh, you know, there are no checks and balances along the way. You have to be very careful. Uh, and, uh, and maybe Ethereum 2 will solve some of the gas fees and some of the proof of stake, proof of ownership uh, dilemma that exists with, with the most popular uh, form of transacting on NFT today. You are buying uh, NFT every day. You mentioned, um, you know, International Women's Day. Uh, February was Black History Month. Uh, my question to you is, uh, how do you decide, given the frequency of purchase, how do you decide which NFT to invest in? Is it just a piece of art that speaks to you or a creator that speaks to you? Or is it Discord and Twitter Spaces community rallying behind a creator? Where, where do you decide to put your hard-earned money into into an nft so it's like an question, etf here <laughs> yeah. well, well i will say when i launched the Good podcast comment, right yeah the yeah, daily so, podcast and yeah. you know buying an nft every day without question i thought the creating a podcast every day was going to be the difficult <laughs> of these two yeah. i was completely mistaken and so i had a team of two and we now have a team of six that are now supporting so that's part of like the lesson that was like how can i and so i'm spending four hours a day researching the NFTs that we're buying over the next couple of days. And it's everything from narrowing down which types we're going to buy to then researching the founders. How much can I trust on the founders? You know, early, early days, let's say this past summer, if you sneezed out an NFT, it sold out and people did no due diligence. Right. And, the, and I got to meet some of these founders and they were like, I've never had a team before. And I made $1.9 million yesterday. And now all these people own something and they're the most impatient humans ever, which NFT owners are. <laughs> and they want something now. They want now. it designed the way you want it. And so like for me, I, it's, I, have, I have a trust score. It started with nine variables that I would we would investigate. It's now up to 11. And it's everything- it's 11 from, that you invented? This is your own personal- Yeah, my own little, so it's 11 things. That, and, and I will say that I also have like a, the use case is a little different because I decided when we were going to buy them every day that I didn't want to, I, I wanted to put some containers around it. So it has to be a mint NFT, which means it has to have launched on that day. I'm not going back and buying a legacy NFT or one that's already proven its work. I'm buying a new NFT on the day of launch. So now I have like, there's a lot of like, I have to like <laughs> kind of make some assumptions on, on that space. The other thing is I decided, you know, it was actually inspired by people. And when I saw people did a thousand, he had a thousand days of digital art and he made it into one mosaic. Yeah. I was like, how neat would it be to have a time capsule of a year of NFTs? And so we're keeping all 365 until November 11th. And then we're going to sell them as one mosaic. So whoever buys it nice. on November 11th will buy all 365, including that mosaic snapshot. And so for me, when I'm researching, I am betting on not on the value of this NFT today, tomorrow, even in the summer. I need to say, how valuable is it going to be November 11th when it comes to life? And so a lot of the projects I'm buying, funny enough, they're not selling out on the first day. The NFT influencers, the ones that you're you're seeing about like hawking and flipping NFTs, if an NFT looks like a great flipping NFT, it's not valuable to my project. And so it's really required me to, I mean, to research everything from, you know, if they're talking about launching into the metaverse, do they have connections in the metaverse? Which platform are they going to leverage in the metaverse? Is there a service in existence where a newbie like myself could could partner with someone for a fee and help me build my NFT portfolio? I, I don't there's a lot of people that are that are I would consider advisors that they're, they're claiming on that side. I think there's some what there's considered alpha groups, right? Where you can join a, a group that in that group, they kind of share best practices on NFTs. A lot of them- So, are like, so you haven't thought through. about monetizing your trust score of 11 or your success lessons learned? I mean, it seems like there's a service there to help <laughs> folks collect art. You could be the Moody's of NFTs, you know, so. Well, yeah. and, and I can say, you know, when I launched the, the daily and the NFT, you know, I've, I've been an early adopter on all the platforms, but I've never, like for me, it was like, how do I really teach bring people on the journey, but also how do I really like lay down the law? And I, I will say it, I'm very confident to say, nobody has minted more NFTs since November than me on a daily basis. Like there's not anyone out there that can say that. And I've done it on 10 different blockchains and I'm doing it towards the idea of, hey, what is that long-term solution, right? There are a lot of people that have a much 
you know, bigger bag, a bigger, you know, a collection of NFTs. But really what I'm trying to better understand is everything from what is a good mint experience? What are the trends that we see on average coming out? Like the day that you buy an NFT, you usually wait a couple of days to get the art reveal. What are the trends around the art reveal that aren't just, you know, the, the things that we see on a, you know, like, what's that macro trend? What's the micro trend? And then, you know, what are the other influences? So I will say, I, I, I'm, for me, this was, I mean, we leaned into it. You know, we're up to six employees now. You know, uh, we sold some NFTs ourselves to, to support our project. Um, and, and part of it now is, I mean, I, I'm absolutely loving every minute of this space That's because awesome. it's empowering. You, you mentioned Black History Month and Women, International Women's Day. I really be, believe that this is an opportunity for us to reimagine the world that we want to be a part of. And I, I'm not only my girl dad, but big, you know, big believer on that inclusivity and how do we really drive diversity. I can now do it, right? I can bring people on the podcast. I can buy their artwork, buy their NFTs. And for the first time I actually feel like that concept, like we is greater than me or the quote that we all know, right? The rising tide lifts all ships. I think we've, we're starting to see that movement now and I think it's exciting. That's amazing. That's amazing. This is really great. I can't wait till we get into a debate about DAOs, but that's going to be next time. Let's do it. <laughs> I've done the, the good and the ugly on, on, on two DAOs that I was a part of. So I would love to, to have that discussion. Are, oh, are, I mean, DAOs are, are crazy. I mean, quick comment Are Ukrainian artists on your radar? Yes, they are. And and also raising for Ukrainian funds. I mean, that's a great use case. Uh, Andrew yep. Wang, shout out to Andrew Wang, in a Twitter space came up with the idea and said, why don't we raise funds for Ukraine. They did it in, in two minutes. They sold out a million dollars where we're actually earned. But here's the best part. They transferred the crypto to a wallet in country to be able to use that hour. That's Not amazing. like the traditional way of raising funds. Like how do we get the money? Crypt, NFT, we, we bought NFT art and they were able to do that. Like to me, this, I mean, it shifts social, you know, social good initiative, charity initiative. So yes. The velocity is incredible. I mean, this is what we're talking about. Massive velocity, low friction, peer to peer, right? Um, and we'll, we'll have some level of centralization, but massive decentralization at the moment. We're here with Brian Fanzo, digital futurist, keynote speaker and host of the 25 Daily Podcast, NFT 365. And also, of course, you can follow him at iSocial fans so thanks a lot for being here man thank you guys thank you, cheers as See always you. incredible cheers right. you know there are people that talk about emerging tech and futures and there are people that swim in the waters and he's always been an early adopter of whether it was cloud when he was working in the defense department cyber security running, too yeah. Yeah, yeah cyber security running it to social to mobile to blockchain and now to this this incredible world, which is like the mashup of blockchain, crypto, meta, Web3, NFT. You know, the, the, it's, if it's a Venn diagram, you see an incredible amount of overlap and he's doing amazing, amazing work. Okay, that was episode 270, Ray. Episode 270. Wow, how many course, guests is that <laughs> 820, I mean, that's crazy. 820 interviews. Next week, uh, you got to really buckle up get your seatbelt and get your popcorn out for episode 271. Uh, we have Christopher uh, Lockhead, uh, who's an entrepreneur, category designer, former three-time Silicon Valley public company CMO and startup advisor. He's a rock star, a top podcast on iTunes and everywhere else. We have Elizabeth Spears, co-founder and chief product officer at Plainsight AI. So we'll continue our conversations in terms of power of machine learning neural networks. And of course, Jonathan Becker, who's president of wow. Shock Sports and Entertainment. How are we going to talk to these three extraordinary people in an hour? I don't know. You'll have to find out. I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I need to shorten their bios and squeeze as many minutes back as possible. Your closing uh, thoughts on Edo and the metaverse and Brian and NFT NFTs. You know, we're at the beginning of the metaverse economy. We've been talking about this. It's a $20.7 trillion opportunity that's out there. Um, we're going to see most of the things that we see as we went from a 2D to 3D transition, as we go from centralized to decentralized, as we really go from Web 2 to Web 3. Um, there's a massive shift going on. And, and this uh, decentralization movement is going to be pretty powerful. It's one of the big trends that we're talking about in our astro chart. The metaverse and the worlds that Ido showed us, uh, the way we actually look at digital assets and 
NFTs the way that Brian's been talking about is all part of bigger picture. And that's really taking us back to how organizations, how society, how businesses, how, how people want to be organized. And that's really where the DAOs are going to play a big role. And so hopefully we hear more about that going forward. Um, I think South by is going to be big on NFTs. A consensus, of course, is going to be big on NFTs. Uh, Bitcoin Miami is going to be big. Uh, these are all areas where we're seeing this take traction. And of course, I think Davos is going to be usurped by NFTs and the metaverse as well. So, so we're going to see this as one of the big trends this year. And then, of course, uh, we're going to see a lot of people building towards this. Uh, so it's going to be pretty exciting going forward. So share photos at South by Southwest. You're there. Um, and uh, I know that you've got several important events to go to today and tomorrow. So keep sending us your experience on social. We look forward to it, Ray. If it's Friday, hey, thanks it's, a lot, folks. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thanks, everyone. See you next Take week. Take care.